0: Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Captain
1: Jean-Luc Picard of the Enterprise. Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the Enterprise. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I am one of your hosts, Adam Pranica.
2: Over here is your other host, Benjamin R. Harrison.
1: Ben, we did something this morning that might be a fun gag for the live show. Oh, yeah? Well, which is me just leaving you hanging for about 15 minutes after we were supposed to start.
2: Yeah, that, uh, I'm sure that our uh, ticket holders, our paid customers, would really enjoy that. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, fill time, Ben.
2: <laughs> stretch. Stretch. Uh <laughs> At a uh, at Max Funcon East this year, there was like a miscommunication. I can't even. I don't even remember which podcast it was, but like one of the hosts couldn't uh, or didn't know didn't know they were supposed to be on stage and <laughs> and uh, had to be summoned from sleep to being oh, on. Boy.
1: <laughs> uh, did, That's almost like the nightmare of of being in class without any clothes on. Like the idea of. Being woken up, yeah. to be roused and then sent to class immediately—that's tough. Tough,
2: tough stuff. We'll, we'll be doing our best to be on and and great, you know, with a and and clothed. Yeah, and with a you know, with a full night's sleep behind us.
1: <laughs>
2: Hopefully, I'm getting excited about this. I'm not. I'm not uh, gonna lie. I guess. Wait, when do these episodes go out? I, it's it's so hard when we record so far in the future to know like what. Context: This will be heard in. Maybe, uh, maybe our live show has already happened. Who knows?
1: This episode that we're recording right now is coming out on the first day of our tour. Oh. It'll be this episode is coming out on uh, Monday, November fourteenth. Yeah. but we shouldn't say that because these these shows are supposed to live forever. That's, these podcasts. That's true. Yeah, forget
2: you heard that, fair viewer. <laughs> forget it ever happened. <laughs> Shall we get into this episode?
1: Yeah, let's do it. It's uh, it's season four, episode eleven, Data's Day. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're
0: entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows.
1: This episode felt like a totally different show to me. Yeah. Before we even start. Like, it is as if the showrunners just left the set, and, and someone wandered on and was, and was like, it would be fun to make a Star Trek The Next Generation show.
2: Hey, look at this. We got all these actors. We got this set. <laughs> what do you guys think? Should we make a show?
1: Yeah, I think we'll get into this idea more as we progress, but wow, this was a crazy diversion from basically every other episode we've watched, I thought.
2: Yeah, structurally very different Shows that they're uh, willing to uh, to take a risk at this point, you know. Um, so we open up, and it is the evening shift or the night shift, and uh, I, I really like this. It was like it was like nice mood lighting on the bridge. Yeah, um, it's uh, which I, I don't know if I would want if I was working the graveyard. Like like oh, it's it's uh not a normal time to be awake, and also the lights are super dim like i guess I guess your your circadian rhythm can really be whatever you want it to be on a starship, right
1: When I have had the displeasure of working graveyard <laughs> uh, it's it's always been in like a retail environment, and so like the hottest possible fluorescent lights have been on yeah on me at like three in the morning, and I found that helpful. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would be as as productive if the lights were dimmed down low. That's why you have
2: that thick, rich head of hair, right? You've been under those glow lamps yeah. <laughs> the whole
1: time. That's uh true.
2: Yeah. I mean, it isn't
1: an accident. <laughs>
2: so the the premise of this episode, which we get like right off the bat in a uh, second officer's log, is that Data is writing a letter about a day in the life to Commander Maddox. Um, Commander Maddox is the guy that wanted to dismantle him and f- figure out how he worked And uh, <laughs> until lawyer Picard stepped in. And it's great that they're such good friends <laughs> after he
1: tried to kill him,
2: right? Well, I, I detected a little bit of shade thrown in Data's letter. Like, I agree that your study lacks any source material, so <laughs> I'm going to do you a little solid little buddy
1: why would data help him get source material if all maddox is going to do with that source material is use it to take apart data later (laughs) on
2: i don't know man uh i think that data knows that he's like just out of maddox's league now but he's like he's gonna send him a sexy a sexy pick just to just to tease him (laughs) a little bit yeah (laughs) so uh so this is a big episode it uh it, it introduces Keiko, Chief O'Brien's special lady friend. And um, the first scene, uh, once Commander Data is relieved on the bridge, is him talking to Keiko, and she's like,
1: I'm calling off the wedding.
2: And so he's like, Will canceling the wedding make you happy?
1: Yes. And Data takes that literally. Mm -hmm. Even though Data has the sum of all human history and and existence in his brain. Like, he he does not understand that calling off a wedding 99% of the time is actually a bad thing. Yeah. And so he's, like, arm swinging into <laughs> 10 forward, like, ready to drop the news to, uh, to O'Brien. It's like, hey, buddy.
0: I have good
2: news. And I, I love the way he phrases this because... It's like he bakes in his misunderstanding into how he breaks the news to O'Brien.
0: Keiko has made a decision designed to increase her happiness. She has canceled the wedding.
2: But then O'Brien just takes it like,
1: fuck! <laughs> <laughs> it's a great O'Brien moment.
2: Yeah. This this episode really... It, it's as much about O'Brien and Keiko, who, you know, become big characters... On on this show, and then you know, main cast on Deep Space Nine, and it 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 from Jump uh, is is a, is basically about how fucked up their relationship is. Yeah, <laughs> like
1: they don't know each other. <laughs> it feels like an arranged marriage. Yeah, it does. And I it, don't think we can be sure that it's not. We we're never given any proof to the contrary.
2: Yeah, but like. I don't think they have a single scene in this in this episode until spoiler alert the end. But you know, like the entire time, they're like passing messages between each other via data, and uh, it's very strange. It just it is totally alien to my experience of human weddings, <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah, I wanted to see their meat cute, and I imagine <laughs> it's just Keiko beaming on and off the ship. A bunch of times.
2: <laughs> you think O'Brien is just in the transporter room and they tell him, like, beam up this civilian botanist, and he swipes <laughs> up, sees her, go, like, goes like, like, rubs his eyes, swipes down, beams her back down, swipes back up, and is like, hubba, 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 hubba,
1: swipes back down, swipes back up, oh <laughs> <laughs> I think transporter chief might be a couple steps up from TSA agent. (laughs) And as he's swiping, he's seeing everything.
0: I've seen everything. I've seen it all. Mm, yeah.
1: We understand the context of Keiko and O'Brien's relationship from the context of conflict. Yeah. That's how we know them. Yeah. Which doesn't feel good, I don't think. It sure doesn't. Because I want to like O'Brien. I've wanted to like O'Brien from the start. And here we are, like 10 minutes into the ep. It made me nervous for Colin Meany because (laughs) we're like in the middle of season four. He's finally getting a shot. He's getting his battle episode. And I want him to do well. And he is just getting shit on as a character. (laughs) (laughs) It's not looking good for Chief O'Brien.
2: Yeah. Well, you you, were you know the characters you love most you put them through the hardest stuff right
1: yeah it's true
2: um so i guess the deal is data works like an entire night shift and then because he doesn't need to sleep he basically kills time for the rest of the day so like a whole bunch of his day when he's not doing mission is like is like farting around like watching people get their hair cut and like and like you know, standing creepily in the corner while a pregnant woman gets her belly examined. Um but uh but his first order of business after uh after dumping cold water on the chief's head is uh going and receiving Ambassador Tapel of Vulcan who uh beams on in full, like ceremonial regalia and uh, you know, kind of coldly says we're gonna go talk to your captain right now.
1: <laughs> I I don't recall, but it appears that she needs a cargo transporter to accommodate her giant hat.
2: <laughs> she has she has full pope hat. Yeah, she's got kind of like it's like a uh, it's like if if uh, hey Tapel, how's the popin? <laughs> <laughs> it it's like if uh, Darth Vader had a couple of pops of color in his in his robes. Yeah. And then and then put on a pope hat, you know.
1: It doesn't help that she's not nice to anyone. Yeah. I think right. you can forgive a tall hat if under the tall hat is a nice person. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah,
2: and it's possible to be cool but nice. Like she's right. she's cool and just and just confrontational.
1: It is possible to be professional and nice. Also, like I think we've run into these people a bunch in our in our adventures, ben absolutely Especially in the in the uh production community,
2: yeah, I mean, this is something we talk about a lot, like you know people make all these accommodations for Vulcan culture, and the Vulcans <laughs> never make any accommodations for human culture,
1: yeah they yeah, really, kind of
2: fucked up they think their uh their green shit doesn't stink
1: <laughs> and in fact, it stinks worse
2: <laughs> um. The whole deal here, we got two kind of storylines running in parallel. One is Data has been assured by Geordi that despite all news to the contrary, O'Brien and Keiko are going to get married, and he better, he better sort out a gift. And uh, meanwhile, they're Ubering this uh, Vulcan ambassador to the neutral zone because she is going to open up. Negotiations uh, designed to Normalize relations Between the Federation and the Romulans uh, Which is a big deal
1: The circumstance surrounding This Uber mission For the Enterprise Seems pretty Questionable from the jump, right? Like, it's a total secret Yeah Secret, ambassador Secret, run to the neutral zone Secret, meet up with the Romulan ship, like If this was really about a coming peace, like, backing up a little bit, like, whenever there is some sort of peace negotiation, is secrecy ever a correct strategy? Like, I feel like in a conventional, modern context, when we're trying to negotiate peace, the whole idea is everything on the table, above board, like, out in the open... Yeah. Like this is this is good for peace, but it this sort of feels like some real back channel, red phone to red phone negotiating here that seems a little uncharacteristic of what the Federation does.
2: Well, you know what they say, Adam. Only Tapel could go to Romulus.
1: <laughs> That's what they all say.
2: Yeah. Uh, no, I, I mean I know what you mean, and uh, from a standpoint of just canon like inconsistent with many other episodes about the federation trying to negotiate peace like they they do what you you're saying like they they try to uh they try to be you know transparent and honest about it and Tappel is always like kicking Data and Riker out of the ready room or you know she's very like uh she's very cagey and and uh you know Clearly Captain Picard's getting pig-dogged a lot. Like, she big-dogs Data the second she beams up and is just going around bigging begging all of the dogs she can find.
1: And as secret as this mission appears to be, like, Data has no problem spilling that to Maddox in his log. He's like, we're <laughs> transporting a a very assholey Vulcan ambassador <laughs> to some sort of peace negotiations. <laughs> yeah, maybe
2: he you know, is going to store this in drafts and then only hit send when uh, when he knows that uh, it's going to be okay.
1: That never comes a... back to bite anyone. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I feel like I would trust Data with a reply all function, though, right? Like, he wouldn't mess that up. He would never hit the wrong button.
1: Data messes up a lot of shit, though.
2: <laughs> yeah, but that not that kind of shit.
1: If Dr. Sung sent him... Uh, sent him a beacon message that caused him to send all of his drafts. <laughs> it seems like something Dr. Sung would do, by the way. <laughs> like, that would be a huge disaster for everyone.
2: Yeah. Can't well, have it. S- S- Sung may or may not have bought the farm at this
1: point. We don't even know. No. It's impossible um, to say. It is
0: a guiding principle of a star
2: you find it within yourself, stand up tell the truth. You don't deserve to wear that uniform. So, yeah, so the... uh Meanwhile, Theta is trying to get ready for this wedding. Somebody, like, drops into conversation that he's going to have to dance because he's playing the role of father of the bride at this wedding, which, uh, not clear if Keiko doesn't have parents or if just because it's on a starship she gets to kind of pick someone. There's a lot of retroactive continuity going on in this episode also, like, Well put at one point O'Brien tells Data like, Oh, like you've known Keiko much longer than I have, and it's like, O'Brien, you were on the first episode of this show. This is the first we've seen Keiko.
1: (laughs) It wouldn't have taken much to give us just a little bit more about Keiko. Like, why aren't her parents on board? Are they estranged? Were they killed? Yeah. Like Everybody else is
2: an orphan, why not her?
1: But because Keiko is a woman, they give her the commensurate amount of backstory on the show. <laughs> yeah. She's really into flowers.
2: <laughs> She's in a relationship.
1: You know who's great at dancing? Beverly.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, this is maybe the most fun part of the episode as Data goes and asks Dr. Crusher, Would you teach me to dance? And she, like, shoves him into her, her office and slams the door behind her. She's like, what? Who told you that? <laughs> and he's like, oh, like, I looked up your service record, and it says you, you uh, won some dance awards. And so they make a, uh, a holodeck program where they do, like, this whole tap routine. And he's like, great, cool, this is going to be awesome for the wedding. And she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you don't tap dance in a wedding. And uh, my head was just filled with... Uh, Images of a of like everybody in Starfleet uniforms at a wedding tap dancing.
1: I feel like that's the thing that you don't see on viral wedding videos is the Gregory Hines esque <laughs> fully choreographed yeah uh, wedding tap dance yeah. moment.
2: The groom, the bride, and a cast of thousands tap dancing in sync. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I had to do mine all over again, I think I might have. Uh, introduce some tapping
2: so uh this uh this dance scene ends with uh the doctor getting called away because a a baby is being born and um she's like all right you need to like learn how to do ballroom dance or like a waltz so program yourself a dance partner and just do do holodeck and 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 data programs this up and it's at this moment that I realize that Data Holodeck is way creepier than Geordie Holodeck. Because <laughs> <laughs> he gets, in, he gets in, uh, in dance pose with this woman, and they start waltzing, and, and as they turn around, he turns to camera, and he has the creepiest SEG on his face of all time.
1: <laughs> He's got that school dance photo smile where He's just smiling with his mouth and not with his eyes. Yeah. It's
2: terrifying. It's what you call an SEG, Adam. I don't Do you know me- what that is. It's a shit eaten grin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get it now.
2: The ship meets up with these Romulans, and um, they are... This
1: Romulan ship is called the Divorce. Did you did you <laughs> pick up on that? Uh, I didn't... Uh, is that really what it's called? Kind of an ominous sign for uh, Keiko and our pal O'Brien. Yeah, like. that's,
2: a, that's a bad star to be born under. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, and, and the, the Romulan aboard this ship is uh, Mendek, and uh, he's real Uxbridgey. you know? He's like, uh, he's just got like an even tone, like doesn't, uh, doesn't emote at all. And uh, is he like Hans Gruber? Yeah, he's a little bit gruber Yeah, he's got some gruber to him. Yeah. You'll give me that much, won't you?
1: <laughs> I'll give you that much.
2: What is it you humans say? yippee
1: Kaye <laughs> His bread box cover seems a little bit more tailored than what we usually see. <laughs> In the NFL shoulder pad... Parlance, like there's the there's the giant pads of like the linemen. Yeah. This captain appears to be wearing like the kicking pads. Which are <laughs> which are just barely there.
2: Yeah, he just has the one bar going across his face mask because he doesn't really need yeah. like full mask, but yeah. regulation says he has to have one.
1: Yeah, he's not really gonna be tackling anyone unless uh, it's an emergency.
2: Yeah. I wonder if they just put some binder clips on the back of his of his uniform and uh, and left it at that.
1: I think that's fair. I mean, when you're on FaceTime, you're only going to be showing the front.
2: One thing I noticed about FaceTime in this episode is when, they, when they're looking... And I've seen this a couple of other times, but I don't know if we've talked about it. When they're looking you know, directly at the view screen, it's like eye-to-eye, unlike FaceTime, which is like, you know, the camera's like a little bit mm-hmm. above what you're looking at. Like, they're, mm-hmm. they're making eye contact with the screen. When you go to a side angle... They cut to a side angle on the view screen, which means the view screen is 3 d
1: yeah, yeah, that's pretty great they maintain... which also means on a production level they've got to shoot it like in, a, yeah. in multiple ways like that's that is tricky
2: eyeline to to nail, I would say,
1: yeah, yeah,
2: um but they they do a they do a nice job of it. Who knows? I don't know. I like the idea that it's three-dimensional though. Like you can like you're standing on the bridge looking into this other bridge and it just feels like a room that's on the other side of that window.
1: That's pretty great, headcanon. My,
0: my
2: Data has been pretty suspicious of Tapel because I don't know, like I think he was suspicious of her from jump. Like there's definitely a scene when she's First, headed to the bridge with him, or they're in the in the turbo lift, and he's just like peeping on her. Tommy,
0: I oh, was like
2: peeping. Like they're standing really close to each other, and he's just looking over like uneasily at her. And then there's this scene, sort of uh, right before they meet up with the Romulans, where she calls him into her quarters and attempts to ply him for like restricted information about how the shields work or something, and.
0: He's like I must report any inquiry regarding restricted information to the captain.
2: And she she's like, Oh no, I was just testing your security protocols. So
1: she's like, Can I ask you in incognito mode? <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I thought it was weird that data didn't run that up the flagpole and be like, Hey Picard, just so you know, uh DePel was asking about the field integrity or whatever. Um thought it was weird, thought you should know. <laughs>
1: Well um, this is like the the contradiction of that rule that really blew me away, which is like data says if you if you request information like that, I must by rule alert the captain and she's like okay then i retract my request and then data seems fine to be like okay then i retract the need to tell the captain (laughs) like like it doesn't undo the ask initially and the whole reason that he should have to tell the captain is not negated by her suddenly withdrawing the question
2: yeah it's like in chess if you like move a piece and then you take your hand off it and they go oh never mind and you move it back and move another piece Yeah. yeah no bueno
1: she took her hand off of the piece. Yeah. And Data should have to go tell.
2: Yeah, one, of, one in a long line of weird, weird misunderstandings of how security works in this show. <laughs> but, uh, so they beam, they beam T'Pel over to this Romulan ship. She's going to go start negotiating with this admiral, and the transporter starts, like, farting mid-beam. Mid and
1: O'Brien is like, fuck! Oh shit!
0: I'm losing the pattern. Trying to reestablish.
1: He's almost uh, break-up-the-wedding-angry. But yeah. I would argue a little less angry than that. He was angrier in Ten Forward earlier. Let's just say O'Brien's day is not going great. The ambassador's dead. <laughs>
2: and yeah, so they're like, God, what? what was that even?
1: They do this entire scene off-camera, too, like... All you see are the reactions from Picard and Riker, right?
2: Yeah, I guess so. And they 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 mount an investigation where Data's in charge, and it's like it's one of those great scenes where Picard is like handing out assignments, and he's like, "We're going to get to the bottom of this." And Data's on like the overall investigation. Geordi and O'Brien are working on the transporter. The Doctor, you know, collects the little like green dust that's been left on the on the transporter pad and says like she's yeah, swabbing stuff. for mist right there's some stuff here but it's not you know like i can't i can't do a y incision on this no autopsy so yeah they're like like god like i can't believe that the transporter just killed like this super important federation ambassador it's never happened before it doesn't make any sense And um, Data has the idea to run a DNA scan on the material that they found. And it turns out that there are the kinds of flaws in the DNA that you would get if you tried to replicate somebody's DNA. So they hold a little McLaughlin group. Issue one. And they basically have discovered that instead of... There being a transporter action, accident, the Romulans beamed Pell off the ship while simultaneously beaming on some mist to make them think that she had been destroyified by a transporter accident.
1: They couldn't it's... leave her hat behind, though. <laughs> that <laughs> that would have been, been fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so they're... The way that the Ferengis beamed out uh, Troy and her mom in that one scene, like right out of her clothes...
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Before she can get her knickers on. I've seen everything.
2: They're like, oh, we've pulled that trick before. We can't do that again. Yeah. So the Enterprise pulls an e-brake and uh, also like the Ferengi (laughs) and uh, heads back to the neutral zone where the the divorce is still floating around. And uh, they're like, hey, uh, what was that about? Like, you guys. uh,
1: Picard, like. Holds up two fingers that he has just like wiped on the bottom of the transporter pad. He's like, uh, "Can you explain this?" <laughs> and uh, yeah, you
2: tried to pull a fast one on us. Like, what? Uh, what's the big idea? Mendek is a—he's uh, a very different kind of guy than uh, than your Tomalak. You know, he doesn't seem to like relish the uh, the game of deceiving the Federation.
1: He's far more robotic than any other Romulan we've run into before. Like, yeah. with other Romulans, the things that they say are often very flat, but their delivery is menacing. The thing with Mendek is that his delivery is also very flat, as flat as what he's saying. And so there's just not a lot there.
2: Yeah. yeah. Which Should've I think serves,
1: with... serves the reveal that's coming.
2: Right. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. It would have been fun if Tomalak was there. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, But yeah, they uh, call him on this bullshit, and he's like, "Well, you caught us." And uh, Picard is like, "Well, if you've if you're holding her prisoner, like we're gonna fight you for her." You know, this is this is uh, this is a pretty grievous. Blah blah blah.
1: Act of aggression. Blah blah
2: blah. Blah blah blah. Fighting words. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Blah blah blah. You're slipping into a into a coma at this point. uh and he's like oh no like she's not a prisoner she's actually one of us and uh he like gestures off camera and the she, entire
1: like, bridge crew drops their mugs right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: yes a lot of uh slow motion of tea all gray hot going into the into the pile of the carpet the stains are not going to come out easy um yeah. yeah and she does like a uh like a little grapevine on screen slides up next to Mendok and uh she was like, Yeah, turns out I wasn't an ambassador, I was a Romulan the whole time. They're like, Jesus.
1: We sure had you fooled. I we look exactly the same. Didn't you couldn't you tell? <laughs> it really made me wonder like how long she'd been
2: an ambassador? Like, had she negotiated treaties for the Federation in order to maintain this disguise?
1: She's really terrible at keeping cover if she was so uh, close to blowing it with Data earlier on the ship. Like, I don't think she was a very great spy if she was willing to to get caught asking a pretty benign security question to Data.
2: Yeah. Well, and also just, like, what would an ambassador know that the Federation doesn't want the Romulans to know.
1: Yeah. It seems like if like, you're I trying guess, to like, get info, the... like, is that really the, the place at the table you want? Yeah. Anytime they talk about uh, security shit, you got to expect that you're going to be asked to leave. Also, the the
2: Romulans wind up having three warbirds in this, you know, like two two more of them decloak, and the Enterprise is pretty clearly out outnumbered, outgunned.
1: They brought piss to a shit fight. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, so I was gonna say, and uh, and so I don't know why the Romulans show their hand, you know, like like the Enterprise has to fold. So why do the Romulans show that they that they were in fact spying on the Federation? Like that's bad spycraft.
1: Are you arguing that they should have kept the other ships cloaked and baited the Enterprise into? Into firing no, on the divorce.
2: No, I'm I'm saying they should have, they should have never revealed that Tapel was spying. They should have, they sh- they should have just been like, yeah, like, well, we've got her now.
1: And well, I I feel like uh, up until now the Romulans have never missed an opportunity to give double middles to the Federation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. And I think they really enjoyed this, even though they didn't have to. Yeah.
2: Always a game of chess with them. Game of chess where you pick up a piece, move it, <laughs> take your hand off the piece, <laughs> then change your mind.
0: <laughs> I am the of all. There are four
2: So Picard basically just has to admit that he got his pants pulled down on this one and they, and they head home, they turn heel and leave the neutral zone. And the end of the episode is a uh, wedding scene where Picard uh, performs a like a Japanese wedding ceremony between O'Brien and Keiko which is pretty fun you know data is the father of the bride i guess geordi is the best man <laughs> fun to see o'brien in his uh, in his dress uniform
1: as an actor when you get an alternate piece of wardrobe i think that's a good feeling as far as yeah. your longevity on the show
2: especially when you know that the, those uniforms cost 3000 bucks right
1: yeah ben did we have any reason to think that that we would be here though like what was the cause for them to put the wedding back on
2: to turn it around
1: yeah like I, uh, that felt very flimsy to me
2: yeah like where they left it was data visiting keiko in the arboretum and and trying to like talk some sense into her at o'brien's request and her basically saying like what the fuck is wrong with you leave me alone <laughs> Yeah, like it uh I mean I guess maybe the idea is that since it's from data's perspective the entire time there's there would presumably be a lot of stuff happening that he wasn't really privy to.
1: Well, when you're planning or involved in a wedding, I find that being coldly rational about all the decisions surrounding <laughs> it is probably uh the best strategy. And I think Keiko finally comes around to this way of thinking. Sure. She sees O'Brien. She sees his wildly successful career. <laughs> She's looking to to climb up the uh, professional ranks. She yeah, sees
2: she, she sees she sees a man with two pips.
1: Yeah, yeah. She doesn't have any pips. Yeah. She wants a seat at the table. Yeah. She's willing to marry into it. I mean, it's clearly not for love. They have nothing in common. Mm-hmm.
2: The penultimate scene is a a quiet one with Data walking into Six Bay, and Picard is standing looking at a a newborn baby that was born while the ship was nose-to-nose with three Romulan warbirds, and uh, it sort of feels like Picard turning over a new leaf on his thoughts about children being on board, because he's like marveling at the fact that a baby was born while they were nearly... Pulverized by their enemies and, you know, no misgivings about that situation at all.
1: Yeah, this feels way against type because he still reads to me as a guy who would hold a baby like with arms outstretched. <laughs> <laughs> uh, looking for someone to hand it off to as soon as possible. Yeah. So while the scene is very sweet and nice, it doesn't play for me as in keeping with this character. Yeah. And another example of how close a bunch of babies were to just getting killed. Like Yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly. a subtext too.
2: So uh last scene is Data heading back to the bridge and taking over for Wharf and putting putting the bridge back on nighttime mood lighting. And uh the uh ship heads off into the into the night.
1: Uh, the first couple of strums of Bob Seeger's night moves plays them out. <laughs> <laughs> as they as they cruise down the road
2: yeah and you you are just looking for drops that can get us sued <laughs> at all times
1: <laughs> i don't know would you want to work the night shift
2: i mean if i'm data and i don't get tired i feel like night shift is pretty chill probably right
1: it's cool to see the idea of night and day shift, but what I really want to see is like mid conflict. Yeah. Like they have to do a shift change in the middle. <laughs> like, hold that thought, Tomalak. We got to swipe out some of our bridge crew here. Uh, I've got to sign off on their hours. Yeah. And then we got to bring a new security guy in. I'm sure you understand. This This administration stuff. God. Yeah.
2: I mean, the, the Federation has. Uh, has f- has furloughed a bunch of people and they've put a major restriction on over overtime. So like we literally like they cannot stay on the bridge. Like just give us five, like don't, don't let your torpedoes go before we get these guys swapped out.
1: I mean, if I'm being honest, you'd be doing us a favor by destroying us right now. I mean, it's just a disaster of paperwork over here. <laughs> yeah. D- uh, did you like this episode, Ben?
2: I did. I liked it a lot. I think so much of the time we get to see everything that happens in the ready room, everything like we we get to know what Picard is up against when he's making decisions, and it's really interesting to imagine being one of the one of the little people on the ship that doesn't doesn't get to be privy to any of that stuff and uh, you know data's definitely not one of the little people, but he's he's not in the room every time that the shit is popping off and it makes for lots of fun thought experiments. Like what is it actually like to live on this ship?
1: Yeah, I agree. To me, like the whole episode's about perspective, right? Like you've mm-hmm. got Data's the perspective that Data has on his life and his relationships. But also in a weird breaking the fourth wall way, the perspective of how a ship operates and it's sort of like It's super headcanony, right? Because if you were to walk into the writer's room and just start flipping out story ideas, like, I feel like a few of them would be, like, uh, is there a barber shop, for example? (laughs) Like, we talk about the Arboretum all the time. What does that look like? Like, it it feels like um, it's like a tattoo, right? There's, like, the dark lines, but then there's the shading. Like, we're starting to shade the world a little bit more with these different scenes and, and these additional characters. In an interesting way,
2: this episode is just charoscuro all the way down, the light <laughs> and the dark Adam,
1: <laughs> yeah, so I liked it too, and it felt so different from every other episode it It felt like it could have been made by completely different people, yeah, maybe the most bodily episode of all bottle episodes <laughs> it's the It's the Nebuchadnezzar of bottle episodes. <laughs>
2: That's a big bottle. Yeah.
1: <laughs> is that the biggest? There's there's a bigger one. I can't remember what the biggest is. Is a ma- No, Magnum's smaller than a Neb, right? Me- Methuselah? Is that the biggest? Oh, I don't know. Okay. Well, we'll save that for another time. Yeah.
2: Uh, Adam, I think we have a Priority One message coming in on subspace. Should we go check that out?
1: Yeah, let's do it. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental.
0: Yeah, it's extra. By the interest alone, could be enough to buy this ship!
2: Adam, we have a priority one of a very personal nature. Feels extra personal because we are in the same room recording this priority one. Mm. I hate to admit that, but it's true.
1: Avert your eyes.
2: (laughs) Uh, This one is from Josh K. It's to Adam and Ben. Now here's the message. Love the podcast. Best banter around. I also love the McLaughlin group. And have been thrilled to hear it become a mainstay of this fantastic show. But please, pronounce it correctly. I wouldn't want John McLaughlin to roll over in his grave. However... If your McLaughlin pronunciation is intentional, like
1: six bay, please enjoy my money. <laughs> ben, I I actually watch the McLaughlin group. And I have for many years. I was unaware that I was pronouncing it incorrectly. Um
2: I think that uh that's uh, instructive of of uh, your disposition with regard to pronouncing anything correctly. And
1: what would Marina Surtees have to say about
2: this? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, what would the Borgs do if they knew what we were doing to John McLaughlin?
1: An accusation like this just uh, wants me want to book some time in Six Bay. Yeah,
2: I mean, this is uh, this all feels like it's just been a charade. <laughs> from Jump. <laughs> is that all of them? <laughs> That's all only ones I can think of right <laughs> now. Uh, if, if you would like to waste money on a <laughs> Priority One message, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. We will gladly take your money and... <laughs> Obstinately continue to mispronounce things.
1: <laughs> I don't see it as taking money at all. I feel like I've enrolled in a community college level linguistics class just yeah. now.
2: Yeah. Got and some uh, phonemes. Yeah. I feel uh, good
1: about this. I fricatives. hope. I hope Josh K does too. Thanks, uh,
2: Josh. Yeah. Thank you, Josh. Um. And thank you for uh, being pedantic in a way that. Helps us
1: keep the show going. (laughs) That's (laughs) that's the best kind of pedantism. (laughs) Yeah, I really like how we do those. No Mm -hmm. one does them better.
2: We're we're real cards, I would say. (laughs) Hey Ben, Adam, what?
1: Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda?
2: Drunk Shimoda! I did, Adam. Uh, My Drunk Shimoda in this episode, and Drunk Shimoda is the award we give for the character or scene or concept uh, that is having the most fun or just uh, brightening up the episode in the way that Jim Shimoda did in episode two. Um, My Shimoda is very early in this episode, and it is Data's hairline. (laughs) There's a uh, the scene <laughs> when he goes to tell O'Brien about um, about how Keiko is calling off the wedding. Uh, he he goes into Tenford and there's a uh, there's a single of data and his hairline moves back about an inch when his you know he like does some facial expression to to explain how great this is going to be. So right at the three minute mark in this episode, there's just a beautiful shot of him saying you know breaking the news to o'brien and and as he uh as he like puts a excited positive look on his face his whole fucking head shifts <laughs> <laughs> It was just i like i like rewound and watch it like three times i love it
1: uh it's like a you know that trick that uh Eric Estrada does like like the fake wig thing where he like grabs his hair and moves it around? <laughs> yeah. It's like that amount of movement.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a full inch, uh, <laughs> if not an inch and a half that he, his his hairline moves back. It's it's like 10 years of uh male pattern baldness in one moment.
1: That's an extraordinary Shimoda, Ben. How about yourself? Did you have a Shimoda? I did. Um I think this show, for whatever reason, uh, puts a great emphasis on the idea of, like, the tea ceremony. Mm-hmm. There, the, there's, uh, there's tea Earl Grey hot. There was, uh, there was Pulaski and Worf sharing the tea. And then in this episode, we come back from commercial on Troy preparing some tea for Data, because Data's got questions about Keiko calling off the wedding. Data, yeah. Data rolls in there, and Troy being a good host... Uh, brew some of her special tea. And the composition of this shot coming out of commercial is three quarters like above Troy, like basically down the front of her dress, and yeah. like two little teacups. Yeah. It was wildly like in the decolletage. Like it was boob tea time. <laughs> yeah. And Troy yeah. was making it. Boob and-
2: Earl Grey, hot. <laughs>
1: It was just, like, we talk about this a bunch, but, like, come on, guys. Really? <laughs> <laughs> like, we're not giving the female characters any character development. We're starting shots on their boobs. Like, please try harder. <laughs> <laughs> so, to me, uh, boob tea was my Shimoda for the episode. Damn.
2: I think those are two really good Shimodas.
0: <laughs> Darmok
1: You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace.
0: Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm gonna head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. it's available nationwide. That's Microdose.com promo code is scarves for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com promo code SCARVES!
2: Back for another game. You know it. What's going on?
1: Just one more week till Max Fun Drive.
2: <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again?
0: topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast secretly incredibly fascinating find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app and at
1: maximumfun.org
0: it's
1: really strong boop tea what do we have coming Mm -hmm. up on the next episode
2: the next episode is season four episode 12 the wounded Picard must stop a renegade Federation starship that is making unprovoked attacks on a former enemy's ship. Ship.
1: You remember that episode, Adam? SHIP. I do remember this episode because the captain of this renegade ship is the guy from Shawshank Redemption. He's, yeah, he's
2: totally uh one of those that guys.
1: It's uh it's canonical redemption. <laughs> <laughs> I love this episode.
2: Yeah. He doesn't have the same accent, right?
1: Yeah. To my knowledge, O'Brien does not do his taxes and accounting (laughs) either. That's not part of their relationship. Have you seen the movie The Castle? Or The Last Castle, I think it's called? I don't think so, no. It's a Robert
2: Redford movie where he gets put in military prison and James Gandolfini is is the warden. Ooh. It's real Shawshanky, and uh,
1: in a good way, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Oh man, I'm looking at the movie poster and it really makes you miss Gandolfini because yeah, few people have a scowl like him.
2: Yeah, it's a fun character for him because he plays this. He's like um, a very oh shit, status- Delroy
1: Lindo's in this. I love Delroy yeah, Lindo.
2: This movie's no joke. It's also yeah. I think it's got Mark Ruffalo maybe. Um kind of a kind of an awesome cast but uh Gandolfini's playing this this uh commander who is in charge of this prison and is like obsessed with status and uh his military regalia and stuff and uh and uh Redford comes in and he's he's like a disgraced general so technically a higher rank than Gandolfini but not in the context of this prison and, oh. uh, it's all about like about like their status struggle, because Redford is like a natural charismatic leader. Gandolfini l- starts, you know, starts losing his grip on things.
1: You can't have that. Yeah, a lot of fun. You got to have Gandolfini's ham hands wrapped strongly around his circumstances. <laughs> that's for sure.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, we don't have any vetoes, so we can't uh, watch the last castle instead of. <laughs> Uh, I so wouldn't we'll veto this anyway that. I think this no. is one
1: of the great episodes yeah it's fun one of the ways that uh, that our viewers let us know of our status <laughs> on the network we're on is by contributing to our show's production bin. isn't that right yeah
2: yes they, uh, can, uh,
1: they can go to org slash donate to make that passion known you can uh, also go
2: to maxfundstore.com and buy a shirt um We're working on some new merch, which uh, I'm hoping will be in there soon, but uh, there's going to be some tour-exclusive merch on our tour.
1: Yeah, Uh, according to our schedule, this episode should be coming out on the first day of our tour. I hope we see you out there.
2: Yeah, and uh, we should thank Dark Materia and Adam Ragusea for our music. Dark Materia made our theme song, and Adam Ragusea made the Priority One music bed and the... Uh Worf song that we sometimes use as well. Uh, somebody emailed us and asked how they could find the Picard song. It's real easy. You just search the Picard song, and uh, it's all over the damn internet.
1: Yeah, let me Google that for you.
2: I even searched in Duck, Duck, Go when it came up, and that search browser never works.
1: Well, people aren't listening to the end of the show because we say it every time.
2: Yeah. Uh, another thing. Who that wouldn't want to won't... listen to this? Another thing that people uh, won't hear because they've skipped past this is email us at drunkshimoda@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Uh, this guy also didn't use our email address. He emailed Jesse Thorne. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's just like, every time Jesse forwards us an email, like, my heart sinks because it's usually somebody complaining. <laughs> this guy was just like, how do I get that music?
1: Like... Uh, every message we get from Jesse might as well have the subject line, long sigh, like
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, thanks to Jesse and the folks at Max Fun for putting up with us, and with that we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, and an episode of The Greatest Generation that's suffering from a real gnarly case of PTSD.